The time now is 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the debut show of the Katie Helper Show. Once again, this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org on the web. Good evening. I'm Katie Halper. This is the Katie Halper Show. Debut episode. It is Wednesday, June 17th, 6 p.m. Um, I'm here with Reggie Johnson. So, first, though, let's talk about some very exciting news. This may be the best news for political comedians since the presidency of George Bush. Something very exciting is happening. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, I am officially running for President of the United States. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tuesday, the Donald, Donald Trump announced he was running for president, becoming, I think, the 779th <laughs> Republican. To it feels throw like that. It definitely ring, feels right? like that. Something yeah. like that. Now, the Daily News compiled some of the best moments from his speech, which he delivered when he announces his running uh, from Trump Towers, of course. Uh, it was edited by Michael Sheridan, and there's music by the Green Orbs. But what you need to know is that even though they play music in the background, they've added music to the video, this is totally true. This is not comedic license. This is exactly what Donald Trump said. I will be... The greatest jobs president that God ever created. I tell you that. Hey, I have lobbyists. I have to tell you. I have lobbyists that can produce anything for me. They're great. Hey, I'm not saying they're stupid. I like China. I sell apartment for 10... I just sold an apartment for $15 million to somebody from China. Am I supposed to dislike them? I don't need anybody's money. It's nice. I don't need anybody's money. I'm using my own money. I'm not using the lobbyists. I'm not using donors. I don't care. I'm really rich. I'll show you that. Next. Saudi Arabia, without us, is gone. They're gone. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems. And they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me, and I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will have Mexico pay for that wall. Mark my words. Obama is going to be out playing golf. He might even be on one of my courses. I would invite him. I actually would say. I have the best courses in the world, so I'd say, you know what? If you want to see, I have one right next to the White House. Right on the Potomac. If you'd like to play, that's fine. Now, that was Donald Trump making his such a hump. That's just a humble speech. Well, I think that the real selling point for me is that he has a golf course right next to the White House. Right. So, like, that's... That's it for me. I mean, I like. I, yeah. I need a president that could knows how to not play golf. have been Donald Trump. 
That was Donald Trump. None of that. That I want to be very clear that there was music in the background. That, that was all real. Couldn't. Of course it could be him, though. It makes so much sense. <laughs> this is a guy who, by the way, said that he would probably date his daughter if it was she weren't his daughter. He didn't say yeah, that. He did. Wow. Oh, he actually yeah, said that. Yeah. So yeah, he did. I'll, I'll get. I'll go find the actual. It I was during an interview. With oh, the okay. View, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, I'll take your word but, for it. <laughs> that's like a good brag about your own genes. You're yeah, like, look, true. you know, you know, these, this, the fruit of my loins is so is Hot. so magnificent right. that. No, like uh, that's like just ball. too right. creepy. That right. That's creepy. Now, that is just straight up. What's, uh, Gabe, when he wow. said the thing about Mexicans, your father is from Mexico, oh, my, Gabe, is uh, that true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my... I is it true? A, so you claim? A long, uh, hearty line of migrant workers uh, who came here and were not rapists. And uh, So did you feel like he was talking to you when he said, <laughs> not you, not you, you're not a rapist? Yeah, he did. Definitely... Um, I don't. I don't know what. What was this? This thing that he thought that I'm just imagining Mexico as a person who's sending people over as though to sabotage the United States right. like that. That to me is a as image. if there's an exchange program like of some gonna, sort. Right. Like we're going to send some rapists here. We're going to uh, send you a couple yeah. killers, couple some drug dealers over drug here. Dealers. Like yeah. But I like the way he goes. Uh, there are. I assume there's some good Mexicans out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's pretty open-minded uh, of him. Pretty liberal, pretty tolerant guy. Very, very well, I like nice the idea of, of a giant wall. He's going to build a giant wall. Maybe great something. Like, he's great. There's going to be a great wall, and it's going to be very inexpensive, I'm including very the mental ones. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I like the way he told us that. In case we didn't know that. That's a great selling point. It's I need to hear that. Point. I also like how uh, he, he knows that he's friends with all the Chinese because he sold <laughs> one building. Oh my God. Some of my best <laughs> friends are Chinese people bought buildings for me. I can't dislike them. Yeah, another oligarch who bought a $15 million building. So right. fantastic. Um, but uh, what's amazing is that this is the song that he came out to. We're just going to play a little bit. This is really the song that he came out to announce his presidency with. Oh. He's like Charlie Sheen running for president. Oh my god, president. he is like Charlie Sheen. You're right, he is. He's I almost want to vote for him. I'm not lying. Seriously? I find him kind of well, if you voted for him in the primaries, I feel yeah. like it would be kind of like a Maoist right. way it would of be sort very of, Mao, yeah. yeah. Maoist. He loves <laughs> Like he very extreme. How can I hate the Maoist? Like you're, right. you're 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 really dividing everyone into like either you're going to vote for this lunatic or whoever right. the right. Democrats Right. Put I mean, up. there's no way that he would beat anyone, yeah. So it would be good. So this is the song. That's what he played, right? Now, do you guys know what that song is? It is. It's That's the Neil Young song. Yes, it's a Neil Young song. It's "Rocking in the Free World" by Neil Young. What's interesting about that song choice is that, as David Corn writes in Mother Jones, um, Neil Young isn't really down with the fact that Trump used that because, uh -huh. uh, in a statement issued to Mother Jones for Neil Young by his longtime manager Elliot Roberts, um, he says that Young was not pleased by Trump's use of the song. And it was not authorized. And in fact, Mr. Young is a longtime supporter of Bernie Sanders. Okay. So two things to take note of. One, uh, Don, uh, Neil Young did not want Donald, Donald Trump to use his song. And he just endorsed Bernie Sanders, which is exciting. Um, and then David Corn goes on to say that it was an odd choice given that the 1989 song seemed to slam a Republican administration for not giving a damn about the poor because the Neil Young song mentions, is making fun of George Bush, the first, the first Bush, when he says, we got a thousand points of light for the homeless man. We got a kinder, gentler machine gun hand. We got department stores and toilet paper, styrofoam boxes on the, for the ozone layer. So, okay, end quote. Now, yeah. Well, I mean, this just reminds, if we take a time machine back to George mm -hmm. Bush's initial campaign, the first one, uh, he played up uh, Born in the USA. Right. His yes. Song, too. Did it, or did Reagan? 
I think with Reagan or Bush, whatever. No, I think it was Bush. Okay, so I think yeah. it was Bush one. One, right? Definitely Bush one. one. Yeah, right. 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 That's exactly it because right. Republicans are not very good at textual analysis. <laughs> Exegesis. You can laugh out loud, Gabe. Gabe just like Gabe just. I don't want to laugh laughter. directly into the microphone, <laughs> because, but this is hilarious. Look away. Yeah. Look away when you laugh. Cover your mouth, please. Republicans don't understand satire or irony. Right. They don't. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that's, yeah. That's what was so funny. They got mad at that guy, uh, Fortunate Son, what, uh, when he sang Fortunate Son at some. Sure. Credence Clearwater. Yeah. Fogarty, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we call him. So. Right. Good job, Reggie. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got mad at Fogarty for singing. Uh, fortunate son, but no one mentioned this. I wrote about this at Rosser, actually. No one mentioned the fact that Bruce Springsteen had sung Born in the USA bef before, and no one said anything about that, because they don't get irony. You have right. to be like, the USA is really bad. I hate the USA. And then Republicans are like, oh, we get it. That's right. critical of right. US right. foreign policy. Well, Bruce Springsteen, you know, he, he made the mistake of having a very positive chorus in that song, right. so it's really easy for, like, patriots to chant exactly. along. It's a chant, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, very right, chant-friendly. Right. It's, it's an anthem. It's an anthem. It's, so, right. so, uh, what what um with Trump though what's interesting is that it's unclear he could be just your run of the mill Republican who doesn't get irony, or he's so reckless and um you know entitled that doesn't face any consequences that I could see him being like I know that Neil Young doesn't like me I don't care let well, him sue me I'm does, rich does he have to pay Neil Young to use his song I don't know or is actually. it sort of like a open source thing where you can just you can appropriate anyone's music I think music Donald Trump campaign. is really in like on the forefront of the open source movement. So he probably went to one of the websites that he usually uses to get free music and, and found Neil Young. I don't know. Totally. We have to get a copyright. We have he, to get he an torrented the pop. Neil Young yes, song. Yes, exactly. Yeah, off Pirate Bay. Exactly. He was like scrolling through Pirate Bay. Um, so this is what's interesting, though. Here's what when I was watching Trump make his announcement. Here's what I heard. I heard this song, the same song we heard, but this is I didn't hear the words. So this is all I heard. Right. Okay, and I really thought it was the next song. Okay. This is what I thought he was playing. Okay. Because it sounds just like it. This is Trump in the club. What is this? This is <laughs> this is a song called Call on Me, a dance music song co-written and recorded by Swedish DJ and producer Eric Prids. A huge hit in 2004, and that song actually samples permission Steve Winwood's song Valerie, I just sang for the first time on radio. Sorry, but I won't hold that against you. Okay, thank you. We, um, what's? But I'm not making this up. I really thought that Donald Trump had chosen that song that we just heard to open his presidential campaign with, which would have made sense because if you've seen that music video, I don't know if you've seen it, Gabe. No, not yet. It's very scantily clad women and one dude who could be the Trump if we're reading into it in a rope doing aerobic dancing aerobic exercising in a very sexually suggestive way in in leotards in leotards exactly no oh that's the other one that's well, good that is that's, the other that's one the, okay All right, that's the, the steve winwood one you know okay, what i'm glad right. for the record for this okay. for the historical record okay people now know this is the original one that that one sampled but right. next week we'll play the original okay the thing that i confuse it with anyway in theory this is a brilliant beginning you know what agree. i really liked though what? was this sort of like historical look at the evolution of music that we just had <laughs> yeah, I know. so it was great <laughs> thanks that was just a lesson in thank sampling you. everyone yes thank you and thank you reggie yeah. for being so reggie by the way deserves a round of applause because i hit him with a, 
approximately the same number of Republican candidates is the same number of sound clips. Uh, like, yeah, like yeah, it's neck and neck. But here is, I started thinking, like, that song, Call On Me, which does sound like the intro of Rockin' the Free World, would be have been a more appropriate Donald Trump song. And then I started thinking of other songs that would have worked for Donald Trump to come into. That would have worked. I like heart. I like heart, and it's, I like heart. You know, and then I like Barracuda. That's right. a great song Barracuda for karaoke. Works. It is a oh, great yeah. song, but oh, I thought a, crazy yeah, would that, be is a little bit more Trump esque. No, that, that's that's tailor made for him, and is, right? in fact, it's tailor made for a lot of the candidates right now. Right, it's true. Yeah, but Trump uh, can take that. He has money. He's rich. He's rich. In case you guys forgot, um, then I thought this is he. He could play this song too. This is another option. Right. Like, I thought that would work for when he, he wants to, like, take on Obama, who he likes to take on, antagonize. He'll invite him onto his. He could play that as he invites him onto the golf course, for yes. instance. And then, you know, he's quite a ladies' man. I don't know if you know that, but he fancies himself a ladies' man. He's been married many times, so I yeah. thought this would be a good song for him to come out to. How many times has he been married? Three. No, three, three, I think. Three, okay. Three, okay. Three, for a Republican, yeah, it's not that many, yeah. actually. Right? Yeah, like, actually, that's game. relatively low. Yeah. yeah. Conservative. He's celibate, yeah. practically. Like yeah. a monk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Celibate like a monk. Oh my gosh, my favorite. My favorite. Yeah. Right. Pony? Yeah. Reggie, you're oh, wow. shaking your head. I'm just creeped out. I'm just I'm have, just thinking of the oh have you seen the video? It's yeah, really creepy. I, that's why I'm creeped out. Who are they? <laughs> I don't know amazing. who they're marketing it to. With the cowboys all sitting at the bar and then and, yeah, uh, and then genuine and yeah, then yeah. riding it. And yeah. then here's the one the one the last option I had. This is the last idea I had. Just because I, I don't even know why, I can't explain why. But there's something. I can actually see this. I can totally actually see this. I, I can see like uh, yeah. Donald Trump having backup dancers when he enters uh, from stage left. It, and they're it, all right. like waving, shaking their fingers. That's right. Amazing. With a lot of smoke, a lot of lasers, a lot right. of, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff. He's kind of like the evil Knievel of presidential candidates. He is. <laughs> I can see that. I want him to come on stage wearing a cape. Like a red cape. You know what? He might as well. I mean, it's just like, I mean, you know, the mentality is, is very WWFE. Uh, I'm sorry, WWE. I know where you're going with that. Type of yeah. mentality anyway. You know what? Well, what? You know, oh. Le well, Re rest in peace, um, oh. Randy Savage. I was just. I yeah. was just thinking of him. Um, yeah, RIP. I, was thinking, been, yeah. I was thinking more like the genius. Like he plays like a real heel. <laughs> you know? Well, the, the scary thing about this Trump thing is that, um, a Ted Di DiBiase, the million dollar oh man. Oh my gosh. Yes. He's a perfect Ted. Yeah. He's not doing so bad. According to the pollster trend on Huffington Post, he's just below, um, Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, Ben Carson, Jeb Bush, Mike Huckabee, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Chris Christie, Carly Forlina, Rick Perry, Rick Santorum, Donald Trump. So he's not doing that badly, right? He's above uh, John Kasich, Lindsey Graham, and Bobby Jindal. So there's that. Um, but I have a theory that Trump just might win because uh, he could get the black vote. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Do you uh, guys, he, he actually has a very good relationship with 
with black people. Do you know that he said this himself? He said in 2001 on talk radio, he said, I have a great relationship with the blacks. I, I I've always that. had a great relationship I, I with the this. blacks. Using yes. the, the, the right. Is That's how you, you know. The. That's how you know. That's the. like inner circle, the. inner circle down code, right? He gets to use it because right. the blacks know. Yeah, he's practically know. a five percenter. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> Borderline. One percenter. He's, he's a one percenter, five percenter. Um, he's a poor righteous teacher. PRT. Reggie, <laughs> what's up, man? Speaking of someone with a great relationship with the blacks, mm, we have mm, to, of mm. course, talk about Rachel oh. Dolger. I have such a hard time pronouncing Me her name. Too. Maybe I have yeah. a speech impediment. I just can't do I don't know. It's un- I think maybe she wants Dolzell. to distract people Dolzell. from... Dolzell. But if you don't know who she is, by the way, you're not alone, because neither does she, kind of. Um... Dojalal is the former NAACP leader in Spokane, Washington, who identified and still identifies as black. And she was outed by her white parents. Does she identify as the black or as black? Among the black. She may be one of the blacks. One I don't of know. the blacks. So, I don't okay, know. Got That's it. a good question. Cool. We're going to have to have her on. Rachel, I know you're doing the rounds. Come come to WBI. Holler at us. Holler. Holla. Um, <clears throat> as in the food. Uh, I want to make that explicit, was outed by her white parents who told the media that their daughter was Caucasian by birth. Stop um, snitching. They don't follow the code. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, luckily we have, uh, raises the question, of course, who has a better relationship, right, with, with the blacks. But actually, on a more serious note, but fun, because these women are, are luckily, they're not boring and they're smart, which is kind of nice when people are smart and articulate and fun to talk with. But we have, uh, Two people that we invited into the studio, so excited to hear from them. Sarita McFadden is a Guardian U.S. contributing opinion writer and the managing, managing editor of Union Station magazine. And Rebecca Carroll is also a contributor at Guardian, the Guardian U.S., and the social media director at Scenarios. Come in, sorry, come in. Here you go. This is a very, we're, ta- we're, we're taking down the fourth wall. Yeah. Oh, okay. You want to, can you give, yeah. yeah, this is, totally yeah. Dojal. Dojal. I can't say Dojal. Dojal. Sorry. Dojal. Dojal. Yeah. No, you gotta, you gotta get close. You guys, this is really. No, you got to get close. Okay, hi. Hi. All right. We're close. I think we're in there. I feel like we, I think we're, I think we're in there. Yeah. You're in there, right? You guys can't see, but actually both Rebecca Carroll and Sarita McFadden are sitting on my lap and I'm sitting on Gabe's lap. Who's sitting on Reggie's lap? It's, so it's kind of awkward. Yeah. That's how yeah. we roll up here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a clown car. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a progressive totem pole. <laughs> <laughs> a protem, totem pole. Uh, each of you wrote really great pieces on this, and and of course there have been lots of pieces on this on this story. Sarita, talk about how destructive what Rachel Dojal 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 did. Um, can you just explain a little bit why it was destructive? Because I think that that's something that's getting lost in the conversation. I'm this destructive on one hand feels like a really strong thing to say, but what I'm, I think what I'm mostly concerned about is our, our, we don't have a language for what's going on right now or a language to understand, um, this kind of, (laughs) this kind of, uh, Michigan, you know what? I was thinking, you know what? I was, I literally was thinking earlier today how Yiddish would be really helpful. Right? <laughs> I'm like, or that we, we have such a, like, a somehow in the English language, we are so limited to try and like do this work of trying to unpack 
the stratification of our identities and like and how that moves and operates in the United States. And I think my concern, one of my concerns is that how how people are using or applying this term transracial means to erase a set of narratives and experiences for people who have that very particular experience, right. particularly folks like Rebecca, um, who I who is sitting next so sitting next to me and also like, you know, I noted in in my piece who's a who can actually tell her own story of being a transracial adoptee. We're talking about folks who are who are born in a different ethnic group, who are raised in a, a culture opposite of that ethnic group. Right. So to try and so that's one that's one part of the story. We like you know, and I don't think nationally Americans have the vocabulary <laughs> and the patience to have to enter like to work with that vocabulary to try and like let's let's try and look at how all these identities are flowing because what she's doing does not. It does not read that way to me. Right. It does not read like I, I like she was you know, like, you know, that's not her experience. And, it you know, she can certainly feel a deep affinity for black right. identity and culture for blackness. Um, but to don the identity and, and subsume and like say, I am I am this right now. Right. Like there, there's something incongruent about it. So can, I just want to say you, you write. um after days of speculation, Rachel Dojal appeared on the Today Show and declared herself transracial and blamed other people's misunderstanding of the term on, on why she came to be identified as black. Quote, and now you're quoting her, I was actually identified when I was doing human rights work in North Idaho as first transracial, end quote. She said, and this is brilliant, I love the way you phrase this, Rita, in a construction that conveniently negated her agency in that decision and explained that she never corrected subsequent media reports that, uh, that she was biracial or black. And then you go on to quote her as saying, identify as, as black, end quote. She said during the interview, though she admits to having identified as white at other points, including when she sued Howard University for racial discrimination because she was a white. She lost. That That's a great way to sum her up. Um, Rebecca, you, and we're going to loop you back in because I want this to be a discussion. And um, you write a brilliant piece. And the title of your piece is very direct. And I love it. And it is Rachel Dorjal is not black. No, I, I'm black. Rachel Dorjal is not. Right. I no. just reversed the order. Sorry about that. Um, I was intentional. I was trying to be <laughs> transgressive and subversive. I'm black. Rachel Dorjal is not. Right. Okay. No. Can you explain that? Can I explain? Yeah, explain. That? Go, Rachel. Well, the first Go. thing, the first thing yeah. I want to say is I want to respond to what Sarita had said, and, and which is that we don't have a language for this. You know, actually, I mean, when I think about that, it gives so much more um, credit to this conversation, like to what she's doing. I think there's a the, the first language to me is that it's wrong. She's a pathological liar. I, yeah. Um, there is some obviously some mental illness going on, and that's important. There's trauma going on, and that's important. Many, 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 many people in this country, in this world, live traumatized experiences and they grow up out of it. It's called adulthood right. and accountability. Um, we, she was in a position, a paid position to represent legislature, to fight against racism. Um, and she lied and misrepresented her. So, so above all, the, the language that I first speak about it is her deceit and her pathology. Right. So, Which is funny because we're so there's so much stigma around using around pathologizing people, right? We're often accused of pathologizing someone, but there are times when there is something pathological going on 
And to not talk about that is really problematic, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think it, it sounds to me like there's a kind of, a, I don't know this is the, the syndrome very well, but Munchausen syndrome, you know, when people mm -hmm. pretend that they're mm -hmm. sick and they're not, because she pretended that she got hate mail that she didn't get. There seems to be some, and you, you use the word delusional. Oh, for piece. sure. For sure. I mean, it's very, very tricky because the thing about being delusional is that you'll never be held accountable. Right. right? And that's like really well played on the part of delusional people because right. there is a, a certain level. I, I would not. I think she's um, really intellectually lazy. I mean, it would be so much more interesting if she were intellectually genius. Right. Right. Um, but in terms of calculating and manipulation, I mean, she's a pro. Right. right. She's and she talks absolutely talk. a she pro. She does talk to academic. Yeah. I mean, she she passes as very academic, right? I think I think whether or not we think it's a lazy or or that coherent, I definitely think that she she's like knows her. She knows the the language that people who talk about this stuff use enough. So I think you think yeah, not think, so much. Okay. I mean, I, that's not what I found in her interview with uh, on uh, with Matt Lauer. I just right. found like she was really actually um, just just sidestepping and redirecting and pivoting right. in a way that seemed like she might have been well coached. Right. But I didn't feel like she said anything that was actually articulate or particularly like smart. she was using catchphrases. Like intellectual, that's what sounds, maybe I. Well, she, I mean, she was talking platitudes. Yeah, platitudes. About like academic and intellectual platitudes, right. Well, right. I wouldn't even put intellectual on it, but, okay. but platitudes. <laughs> right. Um, but so to answer your question then about I am black and she is not, um, and all, there's so many things to say about this or to address. Not, not a, not a, not a hard question. Transracial, as a, as, I guess I'm a transracial adoptee, as that, I've never, I've never identified right. as such. So to me, I was adopted into a white family. It was called interracial adoption, right? So I was black and I was inter, <laughs> entered <laughs> into a white family. Trans to me is, is sort of like a, a broad experience. There was no broad experience in my life. I was in a small white town in a very white state. So I, it was, it was interracial. I wasn't transing right. anything. I was experiencing being black in a white you know, in a white family, in a white town. So, so I, I, I mean, take issue, of course, with her using that term, but also being the biological white child of parents, white parents who adopted black children. And to, to look at these, these, her brothers and not just co-opt, but steal like their identity. Right. Already they're, having this really extraordinarily challenging experience growing up in an all white family in presumably Montana, right. white. Um, and so for her to then take what is the, the black part that has currency um, and, and to, to really just kind of dismiss, I mean, it's just colonization. It's like, right. as I said in the piece, it's just, you know, this sort of very, very personalized colonization. Right. Yeah. That was a, a really amazing and astute, comparison uh, analogy that I hadn't thought of. And I think I haven't read that anywhere else. And I thought that was really um, very on. Um, it's interesting because when you said the thing about then you grow up, right? Like, I'm just gonna be honest. When I was a little kid, I remember saying I was like five years old. I was like, mom, I want to be black. Black people are just cooler. And at that time, I was also dating Gordon McRae in my mind. That's the guy who played Curly in the movie version of Oklahoma. He was already dead from alcohol-related disease. But that's what happens. You grow up, right? And you realize. And what, what, this, what her thing reminds me of, her kind of refusal to acknowledge what she did, it reminds me of white people who are so bummed that they can't use the N-word. 
it's pretty much the same. It's it's like white privilege on steroids. Right. It's like, right. okay, I want this. I want this so bad because if I don't get it, it's like Veruca Salt. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. But it's like, what are you talking about? Right. And who can stop me? Exactly. Who can stop me? Yeah. What's interesting is, okay, here's a question I have about the white privilege thing. It's clearly grounded in, you, um, grounded in white privilege, right? She gets to opt into this, into this other identity. But is there something that's not the tip? To me, it seems like this is not totally within the framework of white privilege because when someone then, if she had, for instance, gone to apply for bank loans or gone out to dance or like pick people up or whatever as white, right? But then taught as black and um, worked at the NAACP as black, right? That's, that's like a very literal use of white privilege, right? Where she's navigating through the world as white and for some things and not white for other things. But she is. What she do you mean? Do, well, she, I mean, she sued Howard as a white person. Right, 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 right. Bef- like, right. But before she went all in. And I'm not saying that to laud her. <laughs> she like, she com- before she committed. <laughs> she really committed to the character. She actually is an acting exercise. is good. Right. No, but isn't there something there? It feels like there's, and maybe this is the pathological thing, where I guess I'm just used to seeing white privilege operate in a kind of, oh, I'm going to wear this or dance like this or talk like this, but then I'm going to not be bothered by the police when I walk down the street, right? Yeah. Like how much, how different is it that, and there's a whole other discussion which about light, light skin stuff, right? Light skin and color privilege. You mean and, the color, the yeah. colorism aspect of yeah. it. Right. Right. The colorism. Yeah. Well, I mean, the colorism aspect of it is, I, I, you know, every time I try to like, you know, logic or reason, right. Or like, all right, like, you know, even or, or or attempt a moment to like, all right, let me let me just play devil's advocate in my head. Right. I fail. Right. It's, it's I mean, I mean, like we we like what it's interesting to me or I don't uh, I don't even know. Well, is, it, like, is there some part of this and the challenge of talking about something that's a construction, but also real at the same time? Yeah. I think that's something that lots of people are struggling with. Right. Like, right. How, especially white people, they're like, wait, I don't get it. You said that racist construction, like a social construction. So then. I, I would say just about the colorism part of it is that um, what she has done to that conversation is make every light skinned black right. woman question right. her racial identity, which is already, you know, again, it's already enough of a struggle right. to try to navigate that and figure it out and feel you know, that, that that is who you are and who you, you know, you are authentically. Um, so she has caused right. that damage as well. But I'm sorry, what your, your question was? Oh, just going back to the how you how we talk about something when it's both a oh, construction, oh. but it's also real. It's a defining thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something that, sure, it's a construction. That doesn't mean that it doesn't affect your life when you're walking right. down well, the street. Right. Right. There, it doesn't mean that there aren't any real implications right. by, by, by virtue of this whole scenario. Like we, like, yeah, we intellectually can deconstruct race and say that we know it's a social construction. We know that there, that it isn't a biological fact of our existence, but we live in a society that operates within very strict racial hierarchies. To, like that is that is totally a, like tied and assigned to skin color and identity is what the country is built, right. built on and we know and we also know and is still witness how that how that legacy 
of white supremacy reverberates throughout the world. We can just talk about the, the DR for a second. Yes. You know, yeah. Which is, the, right. Yeah. The Dominican Republic. Right. The right? Dominican Republic. And, and, and knowing that the kind of, that, that the expulsion of Dominican, the Dominicans with Haitian ancestry right. is in fact a reflection of the same kind of colorism right. that we're, that, that we're talking about here. Which is, in case like we don't know, yeah. that there's, they put this mass deportation, a deportation policy on hold. So people of Haitian descent who were born and raised in the Dominican Republic um, are going to be sent back, quote unquote, though they're not citizens of Haiti either. And what's interesting is that the, the date is a 1929, which was the date of a depression, which, uh, that does that sound familiar when you blame uh, an ethnic population, minority right. population for but, the economic woes And it's wicked in a sense that it, it presumes that like most of like, if your children born born of descendants of, of Haitians who have lived in a Dominican Republic, people like people who were at or before 1929 are either very very old, dead. Right. What right. their paperwork documentation? What 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 are you what are you really trying to communicate? You are very much communicating of like a particular like a real like a racial like a like just xenophobia right yeah very right it's very strong i mean which we can absolutely intellectualize and do and and talk about within the academy and in various literary forms and so on and so forth but also i mean around the world globally that it's reflective of human behavior as well so you know we have we have what we do as human beings and then we have on top of that this construct of racism that this that this country was built on and then we have um you know the actual life experiences that we and by we i mean black america are, are continue to shoulder continue to um talk through continue to try to you know uh raise rise up out of um and so you know i mean it's it's it feels like the onus always falls on us to figure it out um and then when it becomes clear uh the claim is that it was figured out by somebody else. Right, right. Have you read my book? <laughs> Rebecca, have you read this book? Have you read my article? I'd like to share it with you. Um, do you think that any positive, anything positive can come out of this discussion? Like, you know, we're not, I wanted to talk about the Eric Gardner, unsealing the Eric Gardner case, and I wanted to talk more about the Dominican Republic, but this is such a, so in the, in the zeitgeist. Um, so how can it actually be something productive as opposed to kind of a weird sensationalized story. I said to Sarita in the green room, <laughs> very lush <laughs> um, that, you know, I'm sort of done talking about her unless we're still like the news cycle's still on it next week. And then we have to find a way to redirect it. Right. right? Again, the honest ball is for us to sort of redirect the conversation and figure out, you know, as we already have, and we've seen such a, a, a great expanse of viewpoints on this, really interesting from black folks across the spectrum. Um, and that's been, I think, positive. And, you know, we'll, we'll continue to, to rise to that occasion. I, I hope that it stops, though. Right. <laughs> Enough. Moratorium? I'm, I'm, yeah. RD moratorium? Right. I mean, her and, you know, their individual family story right. and that drama is something that we're being sucked into. Right. Um, complicated by the narrative or the story or her construction of a racial identity or an ethnic identity that does not, that isn't hers to construct. But doesn't it have to be by design? Like she clearly, I mean, has this sort of deep 
need yearning to identify as oppressed in some way right and get attention for that oppression right and then somehow find redemption or absolution i mean like and when she says about having like immediate tour we're we're like yeah and like yes that is that is true too that is she'd be the mother to her children one of whom is well, her brother and that, that which is kind of an interesting thing well the thing she said that I, or not. well that oh, really no. that really like you know as, i'm not a mother right um i am friends with a lot of mothers some of my best friends are mothers some of my best friends are mothers ladies and gentlemen Rebecca mother. um but like as as like that, i found that particular line kind of that that kind of stung in a sense that i know white mothers right. of black children what are you what are where's what, blackface where, like why you know, are you in like, blackface like they're like do you need do you need to be right do you need to do you need to adorn my identity right. in order to be a good black mother to be a good mother to right. your black child like i think your child is going to be better off health mental health wise if if his mother doesn't make up lie about her I mean, background right and i think be, I, I mean I, i'll just say this other thing i think i would you know I feel like she's an unreliable narrator to her story, and yeah. if I would, I would be more inclined and convinced to believe her if I heard any anything in the indicator of the language of an of an acknowledgement about her her birth identity and and how she like you know and or like there's 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 something absent in her in her retelling and recounting of her story that feels plausible, um, or some indicator that she's done the hard work of accepting a responsibility, what whiteness has and how it moves and operates and what it is in, in American society. I would, that like, I feel like that part is kind of absent in how, how we arrive at this decision that you decide that you need to become ethnically black. It's so curious though, too, about, you know, and what she said in the Today Show about her son, one of which, as you pointed out, is her brother, actually. She's trans. She's she doesn't she, like yeah. boundaries. But she said, you know, I know my kids. I know they support me. Uh, I know they they support my how I identify. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, how? I mean, where are they going to go? Right. If right. They don't. That's it, and, mom. Yeah. And she quoted one of them as saying, you know, mom, you're uh, uh, racially you're human. Okay, so she's racially human, but they're black. Right. Males, right. boys who walk outside of Spokane. Right. And you know what? Right. I mean, how do you reconcile that? Right. No, it's a very good point. Well, thank you, guys. I feel like we need 17 more shows, so maybe we'll do a podcast extra. We'll 24-hour podcast on this. <laughs> um, and make sure that you check out their articles in um, Sarita's articles in The Guardian. Rebecca's is in uh, Dame. Dame, but she also writes for The Guardian, so you can find both of them in The Guardian. And um, follow them on Twitter. Where? Rebel 19. Rebel 19. Rita Mack. Rita Mack. All right. And we will have you back. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Katie. You. And now we are taking a mini musical break um, and bringing in our next speaker, our next guest, Ava Farkas, the executive director of the Metropolitan Council on Housing, um, to talk about the rent, the rate the rent rules, laws expiring, whatever. I smoked too much crack before I did this thing again, yet again. Guess I, I picked the wrong day to quit cocaine, as Lloyd Bridges 
said in airplane. Thank you, ladies, so much for coming. We will have you back. It'll be even smoother, if you can imagine, than our debut. Um, Gabe, how are you feeling? I feel great. I feel illuminated. That was fantastic. Yeah. Gabe and I have a transracial thing going on. In we're, that we're super transracial. We are, right? Because I'm, I'm a Jewess. You can't see me, listeners, but I am Jewish. But I'm often mistaken for Latina, whereas Gabe is Latino and is often... Uh, I am I am seen as one of the chosen people. One of the chosen people. You I are, look, I look like the child. <laughs> I look like the, the son of a slumlord. The son what? of a slumlord. What? That is ridiculous. And, oh, my God. The other day I heard a Jamaican guy in a Jamaican restaurant say, and I'm, here I am sleeping like a Mexican. Uh-huh. I was like, does that mean not a lot? I thought the stereotype is that they work hard. Gabe, we, get, you better correct him. We, you better be like, wrong stereotype. Right. Wrong stereotype. A person sleeping under a cactus. Oh, yeah, you're right. Ava Farkas comes in and saves the day. Resolve that Ava Farkas gives integrity to, yeah, there's, to stereotypes. Yeah, those, She's like, those tchotchkes that they tell of a Mexican, a Mexican a person lying right. under a cactus. Now, Ava Farkas is With not, a big sombrero with covering. Big sombrero. Ava does these tchotchkes. You may not know this. Now, Ava, come in. You're, you're about to fall. Move that chair. You can move that chair out of the way, guys, unless that's for Elijah. Ava Farkas is a, uh, not only does she know a lot about Mexican, um, uh, handcraft about Mexicans, but she is also the executive director of the Metropolitan Council on Housing, which is oh yeah, oh yeah, which is the is it the, it's one of the oldest and largest uh, tenants' rights organizations. Oldest, oldest, oldest. the oldest. You should feature that more on your website. Um, now, what's amazing about this discussion that we're about to have between Ava Farkas and myself and Gabriel Pacheco is that Gabe is not just a stand-up comedian, nor is he just a former teacher. He is a former. T- can I can I out you now, Gabe? Uh, I feel like you're going to do it regardless of what I say. So go no, for it. No, that's not true. Consent is very important on this show. Yeah. Well, As of today, I mean, for this episode at least. I I got my real estate license. He got so more, making the Jew- the package that much more Jewish. Uh, yep, yep. Is the real estate? Li- I can say that, guys. Cause, cause not only are some of my best friends, but my parents are Jewish. Um. So I thought it'd be a great way to discuss the rent laws with a former real estate agent on the one hand, and then Ava Farkas on the other, who is a housing rights uh, advocate, executive director, ladies and gentlemen. Ava, you were arrested recently. Tell us why. I was. Well, I was arrested with 55 other housing activists and tenants and members of the city council and the state legislature outside Cuomo's office. We were arrested for sitting in the hallway outside of Cuomo's office up in Albany. He couldn't move. He couldn't get through the hallway. Yeah. We were blocking him. We were blocking traffic. We were, we were blocking business as usual. Nice. We were shutting it down, nice. as our chant goes. And we were arrested by the state troopers. My brother thought, actually, <laughs> my brother saw the picture on Facebook, and he thought it was people in a costume because the state troopers wear these, like, funny hats. And he was like, why were they wearing straw hats? Oh yeah, why were they doing that? Why are they saying that? But that's just their that's their hat. That's their aesthetic. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a rural aesthetic. Rustic. Rustic. It's sort of it sort of looks like Texas. It's like a big like the hat that Pharrell wears kind of like that style. Pharrell, I like that. Pharrell. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think right? Pharrell. Pharrell. Um interesting. So there's the the smoky Yeah, like those kinds of and they wear it like tilted forward with this little strap in the back. 
Dave, have you encountered this in your real estate dealings? Do you ever get arrested by the National I've, Guard? I've never been arrested by the National Guard, the Texas uh, Troopers. <laughs> or Pharrell. Or Pharrell. Pharrell has never, ever, ever accosted me no, while I've been. he respects you. He I does. Like he gives me my space. Yeah, 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 definitely personal space. Pharrell's very good at that. That's why he, and he loves, that's why his anthem is uh, Blurred Lines. Uh huh. Um, so Ava, tell us what's happening though. Why you were arrested? What what's so important that you get arrested over? Oh yeah, I forgot that part. Um, <laughs> Not that the the hat 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 fashion hat of Law and Order is very important. I was important. to tell another exciting okay. part. <laughs> tell another exciting part. Well, they had they. It was Ava's a plan. Gave like executive a, director. Yeah, no, I'm thrilled. I want to hear all about this. I want to it hear was a about planned arrest. So it was the first time I was arrested. So I was very excited because I'm very scared of getting arrested by the NYPD. But this was like a baby arrest because it was the state people right. and they they used um, string handcuffs. Okay, <laughs> that's adorable. That's adorable. <laughs> I love them. They're like arts and crafts handcuffs. Yeah. Lanyard. And the most, I I thought like the most real, you know, the the most sort of intense part of it, if there was any real intense right. part, was that we had to be if we wanted to use the bathroom, we had to be accompanied with a state trooper to go to the bathroom. Okay, that could be. Intense. But other than that, so it, it kind of pretty... sounds like it sounds like summer camp, <laughs> summer camp yeah. at like a school where like they need to account for you all the time. No. And they're like, we're gonna walk you to the bathroom and to the water fountain now. Yeah, Ava, threes. you're a political prisoner. <laughs> but why did you do this, Miss Farkas? What what is the issue that you're trying to get Cuomo so, to do? Tell people about it. We um we did this because Governor Cuomo, for for people who've been reading the news or people who live in rent regulated housing, know Governor Cuomo needs to strengthen the rent laws. Governor Cuomo has the power to bring the leaders of the assembly and the Senate together and cut a deal on the rent laws that's going to bring the kinds of reforms that we need, that tenants need in order to keep New York City affordable and to keep the system of rent regulated housing in place, which is the largest source of affordable housing in New York City. It's what keeps New York City um yeah, a place totally where yuppified. right it, it's for, for regular people right. for regular working not people trump. not just donald trump and we need stronger rent laws we don't just need a renewal of the rent laws we need stronger rent laws and cuomo can deliver that and we were out there demanding that he deliver and but he's not doing, doing that. that he's one status quo he has gone back and forth Two weekends ago, he came out with an op-ed in the Daily News saying that he supported some of the major items in our platform, including repealing vacancy decontrol. That's our number one demand, which is a terrible loophole in the law that is the mechanism by which landlords take apartments out of the regulation system and make them market rate. And we want to abolish that policy. And um, he came out, he came out not totally in favor, but he... He came out saying it should be abolished or the rent, the rent level under which you can deregulate an apartment should go up. But so he left himself an exit strategy, right. at, a way to wiggle out of that commitment. He did make a couple other commitments that he since uh, backtracked on and said there's not enough time. He even has a Facebook. OK, he has a Facebook ad now asking people to pledge to support him getting stronger rent laws, but it's, he is a person responsible 
Write me a letter and pressure me, pressure me to change the rent laws. It's ridiculous. It's like the FDR story where he's like, now go ahead and make me. He says that to. Well, it's like support Governor Cuomo telling the Assembly and the Senate to do it, but he's the one. He wants to be empowered. He wants to know there's buy-in. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. He's all over the place. Crazy. What can people do? He's transracial, (laughs) transgovernmental. What can people do? Um, they can call his office. Number, got it right here, 518-474-8390, and tell him we do not just need an extension of the rent laws, we need the strengthening of the rent laws. We need to repeal vacancy decontrol. People can also join um, one of our many actions. We're going to be protesting him every single day until the rent laws are strengthened. Oh, maybe we'll go get some recording. Tonight, we're going to be having a camp out outside of his midtown office, along with the Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams. He's organizing this, and a number of city council people will be there. We are going to have a press conference at 1030, and then we're literally going to sleep overnight in the street outside of his office because... If the laws aren't strengthened, people will be evicted from their homes and will just move into his office. <laughs> That's, are you hearing that, Andrew Cuomo? That's fine. Don't don't strengthen the rent rules, but make sure that you want a lot of people in Gracie Mansion living with you. So how Not much time does he have to do this? Yeah, how much time? Well, the time has already run out technically, so... Monday night at midnight, he's, he's beyond the deadline. Monday night at midnight was the deadline for uh, when the previous set of laws expired on the right. rent laws. So he's beyond the time, but it doesn't really matter. He can call the shots. Yeah, I mean, he's said to the legislature that he's going to keep them in Albany as long as possible until a deal is cut. So he just has to he has to broker that deal and he has to negotiate with the Republican Senate and get them to accept stronger rent laws. Right. Okay. cool. So anything else you want to say where people can come out? We have one minute. Anything else? You can see me tonight performing a laughing liberally, by the way. Oh, yeah. I'll say um, Thursday we will be at the Plaza Hotel at 6 p.m. Governor Cuomo is having a fundraiser there. And we'll be out there along with a lot of other groups, teachers union that are going to be that have a bone to pick with him. And then um, the picket line will continue Friday, 1130 a.m. to 1 p.m. So come out for lunchtime, a lunchtime picket at Governor Cuomo's office, 633 Third Avenue between 40th and 41st Street. Yeah. Will, it, will it be catered? It's lunchtime. No, I don't. Okay, don't bring your own pack, your own lunch. Yeah, yeah. Brown brown bag, bag, brown lunch, bag B-Y-O. B-Y-O-L. Thank you so much, Reggie Johnson. Thank you so much, Gabe Pacheco. Thank you so much, Ava Farkas from Metropolitan Council on Housing. And come out and support her. And uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, I'll be wearing a straw hat. And... Uh, I'll be wearing a, I'll be wearing a mounty hat. Yes, and string handcuffs. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs>